Welcome to The Bee's Knees, a podcast full of articles, interviews, clinical studies, and advice about knee surgery, physical therapy, and life after knee surgery. I'm really excited to be here with Phyllis, Phyllis Amen. We are here to talk about senior issues. We have the right person on the air right now. I'm really happy that you're here. Phyllis and I just met, oh gosh, a couple weeks ago, and she's got amazing credentials. She's a speech pathologist, author, elder care advocate. She's got this amazing podcast that I've been listening to, Phyllis, feverishly, which is a Seniors Straight Talk on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. So all kinds of ways of sharing her knowledge. First, Phyllis, welcome. Thanks for being here for us. Oh, thanks so much, PJ, for having me. This is really a pleasure to, anytime I have the opportunity to have these kinds of conversations outside of my own podcast, I really, uh, I really welcome them. So thanks so much. You're welcome. You like the limelight. You like the spotlight, don't you? Uh, not really. I mean, it's, <laughs> no? it seems that way. I think I'm coming into it a little bit. I mean, I will say it's not that I like it. I'm, in, I'm enjoying it. I really don't think about it in terms of me. I think about it in terms of me being a vehicle for bringing this information to the spotlight. Yeah, that's why I noticed that because I have, really have been listening to your podcast, obviously, and you have some amazing guests. But you really do kind of help them get their messaging out. You're, you're kind of guiding them a little bit to make sure that their expertise is shared with the listeners. And I've been really amazed at the quality, and, and it, it's just it's a great listen. So I'm going to try to get out of the way right now and maybe give you the, the, the floor to, to share your background, how you got to be you know, an elder care advocate, how, how this all sort of happened to get you to this place where you are. Okay, great. Uh, interestingly enough, as a speech and language pathologist, I'm a talker also. So <laughs> I, hope we don't get, I hope we don't get in each other's way too much, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to zip it. I'm going to be quiet. No, um, but <laughs> so when I was 15 years old and in high school, my mother care, helped care for my grandmother who lived about two and a half hours away from us by bus and train. I lived in Brooklyn, New York, and she was in the Bronx. And my grandmother's health was failing. She had Parkinson's disease, and she also had fallen and broken her hip and was recovering from that. So my mother traveled there a few times a week for quite a period of time. I always tell people that's when I learned to cook because she didn't often get home in time for dinner, and so I learned how to make dinner. Anyway... She uh, went there several times a week, but after a while, as you can well imagine, it took its toll not only on my mother, but the entire family. And she wanted to move uh, my grandmother into our home at the time. My father didn't think it was such a great idea. We had a house, but it was a small house, and my grandmother would have needed a hospital bed, and which would have taken up a large portion of the living room. And especially being that I was a teenager and you know, had friends come to the house, and also he thought we would all be on call 24 hours a day. He, he really didn't think that was so advisable. There was a small nursing home a few blocks from our home, and he suggested that my grandmother move there, and then my mother would be able to visit her from morning until sunset, and she'd only be a few blocks from the house. So that's, that's what happened. 
After my grandmother was there for a short period of time, my parents went on an, an anniversary trip for their 25th anniversary. Uh, my sister and I actually sent them on that trip. And uh, being that my mother was there all day, my sister and I assumed those responsibilities to help care for my grandmother. So I was in high school, so I went to school in the morning. I went there in the afternoons. My sister uh, was seven years older than I, than I am. And she was in college, so her classes were in the afternoon. She went there in the morning. And I remember the first day I went, which I talk about in my last book, Overdue, Quality Care for Our Elder Citizens. I remember the first day I walked in there. My grandmother was a very, very proud woman. As a matter of fact, I remember hearing my mother argue with her over the telephone. She was so proud. She didn't want to leave her apartment to go outside because she didn't want anybody to see her with a walker. So knowing that, when I walked in and saw her in the lobby of this nursing home, of course, this was many years ago, she was sitting there, I remember, in a very unkempt uh, situation. Uh, the smell at the time, just it just burned through my nostrils, and I, I ran out, and I walked around the block crying several times until I could compose myself and walk back in. And, of course, my sister and I continued to care for her over those two weeks, but it left an indelible mark in my mind and in my heart. And I believe when I became a speech pathologist and after I worked for a few years, I think that's what drove me back to the nursing home, that, that the picture, of that experience of, of seeing somebody who was so proud uh, in, an, in a situation where they weren't being cared for properly. And my mother set a great example caring for her own mother. So I, I carried that through to my professional career. Wow. Who knew you, your parents, your sister, your grandmother, that that was going to have such an impact on your life? These are years later now, and this has become your center point, really, in a lot of ways, elder care and talking about nursing facilities and skilled nursing facilities and your expertise uh, you know it life is funny isn't it you yeah know, it's hard we, to hard to predict right we don't know uh what direction it's going to take uh you know i've worked in over 45 skilled nursing facilities or nursing homes the words are kind of interchangeable people use them interchangeably although they they do are a little different so when you talk about direction i had been working in um I had worked in two or three facilities and one for uh, approximately 10 years, and then I decided to leave to pursue a different career, something totally different. I have a very creative right brain side, and I started designing and making jewelry, and I decided I wanted to go into jewelry making heaven, and so I left to pursue this. And it didn't really work out that well. I didn't have a business plan, to be honest. But, um, I went back uh, to, to work in, in nursing homes, and then I wound up working in several uh, different ones. And afterwards, after working in like, you know, I was up to like 10 or 12, I was like, wow, you know, this is really serving me very well because I'm learning so much from so many different people in so many different facilities, different ownerships, different administrators, different philosophies, different ways of applying care, understanding care. So over the years, it's really served me well to get to this point and be this expert who has this vast knowledge and experience that I can share. Yeah. 
I, I look at my experience to date in the knee side of things, knee surgery recovery, and you know there was this device, this protocol. It's still evolving or growing, and et cetera, et cetera, with this X10 therapy program. And little did I know that through that thing, that little corner of the world, that I was going to run across a lot of senior people. I didn't quite think that through, I guess, at the beginning, who are going to, in some cases, skilled nursing facilities for two to four weeks if they maybe do two knees at once. I was going to learn about their paths. That is a route versus other you know, recovery paths. And then beyond just the care side of things, how amazing it was going to be to meet them, get to know them, understand mm-hmm. their lives, look at their histories and be a part of their their life for a little, little short period of time while they're recovering from a knee surgery, but suddenly to appreciate these amazing people with these life experiences that, that suddenly you're, you're, you're coming in contact with frequently. I, I do, and of course you did too. I mean, it's this window to our history, to America, to cultures. I have not been an elder care advocate, you know, in my history. That's not my background at all. But boy, can I appreciate you becoming an expert and then wanting to have an influence and an impact on how people are cared in these facilities. How do you optimize? What are the technologies? What can you, how can you improve this situation uh, that the people are in, whether they want to be or in some cases or don't? Um, it's an amazing space. And it's a space I think that a lot of people really don't think a lot about until they might have to think about going to one, sort of at the end. We're like, wait a minute, well, I should learn about this thing before I put my parents or I go myself. I mean, it's a, we'll, all, we'll all get there, you know, eventually, right? Uh, absolutely. Uh, it's interesting, something you just said, which I talk a lot about, that um, our older people really are a natural resource. When you talk about a window into our history, whether it's uh, their history, if they've emigrated here from another country, so you're also getting a window into a different culture, history in general, civic history, our community history. I don't think people really look at it that way until they start talking to people and interacting with them, and then it kind of dawns on them the richness of what they can convey. I think that's a a failing of our society in general, how we treat and care for and value the elder citizens in our country because we don't realize, we think that if we push a button, we could get the information from Google or whatever other search engine you use, and that's um, sufficient to give you the information, but the richness of the experience is lost when you're just reading it. That's the word, richness of experience, or that's the phrase. You're absolutely right. When I do interviews for the Bees Knees podcast or now for this new Knee Radio One, the the fact is I, I, I probably could race ahead, fast forward to the tell me about your knee recovery part. Right. But right, I don't right. but I but I don't want to. I wanna wait a minute, what did you do? How'd you get here? Where'd you live? You know, tell me about that that, that first endeavor when you were a, a chef or you had a, a bakery or you know, yeah, that that's richness of experience and that helps us all say, Wow, okay, we we, we learned about this person. Now let's talk about the clinical stuff. But we're, we're all in the game together. The listener, the, the, the person with whom I'm speaking, and myself, we're all together now focused on the, the problem and the solution. And 
uh, I don't know. It's, it's a. I find it'll be a lot to be a lot of fun. <laughs> I well, say. well, not only that, I think it puts the recovery in context. Uh, it tells you something about the re- the person. I believe how they how their experience in life will help them approach this recovery, what their attitude is about the recovery, what was their job before, what what led to this issue with their knee. That might tell a, you something about their recovery as well. I uh, have worked in facilities uh, with people who, if, if the casual observer walked by them, to them they just look at it and say, oh, like there's an, I hate to use the word, but like an old person, right? And to me, every person has value because whatever their life experience has been, that has contributed, whether it's to their family, the community, the job they had. Uh, so I, um, I've really um, helped care for some extraordinary people, if you think of that as being more, I don't want to say more special, but you think of that as, as attaining something that's different from other people. So I remember years ago... I was working with a woman, and she was an original model for Coco Chanel. And um, (laughs) I worked with someone who was a former uh, president of the NAACP. I worked with um, somebody who was an admiral in an Argentinian army. I worked with, you know, some amazing people. But when people, uh, just recently it was a... uh, physicist I think he was and now he's a confused person and unless you know that about him it's just another confused person but when you look at the person through their background it gives you a richer context mm-hmm. and a, a yes. different way of I think understanding them or appreciating yeah. them or maybe and I, I'm getting above my pay grade here but maybe even helping them maybe even connecting right. with them yeah. No, I I agree a hundred percent. If I can tell a little story, a little story, just something that happened to me yesterday. I was uh, doing some work overseeing some uh, speech work in a facility, and there was a gentleman who was talking to the nurse, and he came with this book, and it was a very simple book. It was he was writing letters and and words. It, you know, it was very uh, elementary, and he was saying he had this teacher, and she left. And uh, what happened to her, and is she going to come back and help him with this book? And his speech was uh, slurred and a a little uh, slow. I didn't know what had happened to him um, or anything. I was just part of the encounter. And I found out later on that as a young man, he had been uh, assaulted and brutally beaten and experienced head trauma. And he had been, I think it was when he was in college, and he was like a straight-A college student. And now he, uh, he obviously is in a very different situation. Somebody looking at him would not, would just think, oh, the, here's a, just a person who, you know, can't speak very well. And they would just make all kinds of assumptions about that. So I think it's important that we know who people have been in their lives. Yeah, well, I, I agree with you. This work that you've done, speech pathology, working in nursing care, that all led you at some point, maybe not that long ago, to start writing. And maybe you can describe the, 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 the writing that you've done, the books that you've published? Yeah, sure. Over the years, 
I was always a um, outspoken proponent and staunch advocate for improved quality of life, quality of care, and respect and dignity in all of these buildings. Uh, some of the programs I would try and initiate, out, even outside of my scope of practice, uh, weren't always that well-received. And so um, I became increasingly frustrated, I, I have to admit it. Then the industry kind of changed a little bit, too. There were more larger corporations buying facilities. They became chains of, of nursing homes. And I don't know, it just wasn't sitting that well with me. And one day I was working um, in a building. I had built a program there. I had been thinking about writing for a while. And they decided that now that I had built this program, that it would be more advantageous for them financially to get somebody far less experienced than I was. I mean, that's, I, I won't even say what the administrator said to me, but it, it, it was okay. So I, I was heartbroken at the time, but you talk about not knowing what, what opportunity is going to lead to another opportunity, right? Well, they, you know what they say when one door closes. And so it was at that moment that I decided, wow, maybe this is the time for me to start writing. And I wrote my first book. Um, it's called From Nursing Homes to Rehabilitation Centers, What Every Person Needs to Know. And I really kind of got a little in the weeds and academic of, about the intricacies of uh, the system and billing and all of that kind of thing. I was trying to let people kind of give them a window into why it happens, what happens, how it happens. Uh, it did get a little academic, though, I have to admit it. So then after a while, I decided to write a second book that was a little more reader-friendly, I'll say, and that book is Overdue, Quality Care for Our Elder Citizens. And it, you know, ha both books have a lot of stories in them, what I've encountered, my own stories with, with residents or in facilities, my colleagues, that kind of highlight what some of the pitfalls are in nursing homes that and giving people a window into that and giving them real information so they can more effectively advocate for their own loved ones quality of care you know I'm suddenly I was channeling the uh, the sound of music with Maria saying when God closes a door he opens a window <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> and, and there you are that's, your window that's was true. Your, I forgot about books. that <laughs> that's funny <laughs> uh, that's true in a way right yeah oh gosh yeah Sure. I think you could have probably uh, ascribe so many things in our world to that. You know, this path was shut down, and so you went left or right, and suddenly marvelous things happen. So two books, and I think, I believe you've told me, right, you've got a, another book in the works, or you're close to, close to that, aren't you? Oh, I finished it, and uh, I'm hoping that it's going to be released by the end of September or early October. The uh, title of it, I think, is going to be Dignity and Respect. I'm not sure about this, the tagline uh, that goes underneath that title is yet, but it's, it's about what the, the, name, the title says. It's about dignity and respect, how we, we are caring for our, the older people in our communities and in our lives and the care we give them, the treatment that they have available to them. It's a form of elder justice. It's actually it's a human rights issue as much as any other human rights issue that we have. Because people's attitudes, even older people, they internalize some of this 
when they are on the receiving end of it. And it really does. There are many studies that says how this affects a person's self-esteem, their life satisfaction, their confidence, and even affects their, their health and well-being. So I think it's important that we start, start to really shine a spotlight on that and see if we can make some changes in how we think about older people, and that will hopefully affect our attitudes towards them. Your story is sort of a perfect circle in my head because this brings us right back to your grandmother and the 25th wedding anniversary for your parents and you and your sister looking after her during those two weeks because dignity and respect was something that you were obviously concerned about when you walked around the block upset. And now you're writing books about this, and it began when you were 15, <laughs> to, to my to my eyes, at least, it looks like Wow, that. I never you're, thought of it that way. That's a great insight. Um, I love that, actually. Yeah, yeah. There you are. That. Yep. Well, well putting, putting those concerns, right, you're putting those concerns now into things that people, administrators, those that have parents or will eventually be in a facility themselves for, for them to ponder and consider and, and as they choose their care. That brings me to, let's reference this right now, there, there you have a podcast and you have uh, that, that same podcast is on the, on the radio and I, I think we should, we should mention that, although I think that listeners to the Knee Radio 1 broadcast are going to get, get a chance to listen to it themselves because we'll have some of those episodes on our air, but it's called Seniors Straight Talk, how does this fit in? Was it the book propelling you toward the podcast, or how did that kind of evolve, would you say? I uh, had been in contact with a gal about, I guess it's a little over a year ago, in the Midwest, and we had connected through someone else, and uh, we're definitely on the same wavelength. We had many, many, many conversations. One day I said to her, you know, I think we should do a podcast. We should really be talking about this because my idea is to really create a national conversation or inspire a national conversation really on a national level, not just a TV commercial about Alzheimer's or, you know, a place for mom or home instead, but, but really a conversation about this. And so um, she kind of dropped out after a while, but I, I continued to pursue it. I contacted Voice America because I knew somebody who had a radio show on Voice America, and, um, you know, I, I pitched my idea. They got back to me. They loved it. As it turns out, the executive producer of my show also has a, a, a mother who's older, who's living with her at the time, at, at the is now living with her. I don't know if she was living with her at the time. She also had a brother who had some some serious issues. So it seemed like the perfect fit. And the original title of the show was Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. But then, uh, earlier this year, we realized that we had so many more downloads as opposed to live listeners, because that's the direction things are going, right? The podcast, the downloads. I said, gee, let's, uh, I do have a co-host, but I'm, I kind of have spearheaded this, uh, this project. So I said, you know what, let's, uh, let's transition it to a, solely to a podcast platform, and let's rebrand it with a different name that's more, I think, more exciting or more, uh, has a little more zip to it. I came up with this name, and uh, here we are. And I, as you mentioned at the beginning, I've had some, some 
wonderful guests on the show, real thought leaders in the field, and look forward to having many more. And uh, that's making it even that much more exciting. It's fun to listen to and warm, but it's serious. I mean, you're, you're really tackling big issues. And for a meaningful conversation, I mean, I'm not aware of, of anything better than what you're doing now from what I've heard so far. It's the real deal. I guess I was I was... I was impressed with that because you're getting experts in their fields and they're getting to the nitty gritty pretty fast and, and you're you're really having that dialogue that you talk about. It's 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 great. I'm I'm looking forward to listening to more. I've only heard, you know, three or four of them. I've sort of been browsing, but it's good stuff. Uh, oh, so, thanks an awful lot. Yeah. And one of the reasons that I I really want to have these thought leaders on the show is for listeners to hear them. Um, and I hear me have a conversation with them because this is my space. I, I, I know I relate to what they're talking about. I, I know those topics. I've lived them. So I think that comes through in these conversations that um, we're really getting to the nitty-gritty. I'm not just asking questions. I, I know it intimately well. And I, I'm hoping that that's what's coming across uh, in the interviews. Yeah, no, it, it is, and, and it, it's, uh, again, I think you've just found your path as it moves forward is finding another, another, another place for you to express your expertise, and um, I think it's a good listen. So I'm, I'm excited that it's going to be on our, our new radio one, and I also um, just, I'm excited to, li- to listen to the new ones that you come up with. All right, so let's get to uh, sort of the topic that I had in mind when we, when we first met, and that is that in the world, because this is all about knees, the broadcast, that, uh, things that I do, and knee, usually total knee replacement. And I think we should maybe think about that one because that's an elective surgery that you can plan for. You know well in advance you're going to do it. You may have been thinking about it for years. And there comes a point where two to four weeks, maybe, pre-surgery before you go and have a knee or two replaced, where you're starting to think about, you know, the care afterward and, you know, the doctor may have some thoughts. You are empowered to make your own decisions, of course, with your insurance company coverage in mind. And there are choices, one being go home, another one being go to an inpatient facility, a skilled nursing facility for probably a couple weeks as one of the options. So there's that instance that I wonder if we can talk a little bit about and then there's also the other scenario beyond knees, right, which is, hey, you know, I'm 80. I think I need a little bit of extra care. I don't want to be a burden to my family. And I, I may want to go live in a, a facility. How do I find, how do I pick and choose the right uh, facility for me? How, what are the, the metrics? What are the things I should be looking for? How do I know I found the right one. So do you think we could cover them one after the other, maybe? the Sure. Something that I tell people, and you and I had this discussion previously, is uh, I, I use the expression plan, plan by choice, not by crisis. Because whether it's knee surgery or you think you're, you're planning ahead and you think you may need to or want to move to some kind of different living situation or facility, that if you wait until that moment when you need to find the place, you're going to be really at the mercy, is what I say, of the glossy marketing brochures. It's like you wouldn't wait to buy a car, or you try not to wait to buy a car until your car breaks down, because 
if you haven't investigated anything, you're, you're kind of at the mercy of car salesmen, right? Mm-hmm. Which isn't a great place to be. This is the same situation. People don't think of it this way. So I always tell people, if you could get this information beforehand, you'll be doing yourself a tremendous service, or even adult children who have older parents, if they could really think about getting this information beforehand. I know people think, well, they don't really want to. Maybe it's an unpleasant topic. Um, But I tell people, we do all plan for catastrophes of one sort or another, even though we don't anticipate them happening. We all have car insurance and we don't anticipate being in a serious car accident or a car accident of any sort, right, and medical insurance, but these things happen to us. So why not get this kind of information where you're going to actually have to live in a place? Your life is going to totally change. Why would you do that without getting some advanced knowledge? Um, So that's an important part. In terms of knee surgery and being in a short-term rehabilitation unit of a long-term care facility, and uh, that's what a lot of nursing homes, they they become skilled nursing facilities, and a lot of them have like these subacute units, they call them, or short-term rehabilitation units, where people would come from a hospital to get some kind of rehabilitation before they go home. Interestingly enough, a a lot of people aren't doing that now with the whole COVID situation. People are reluctant to go to a nursing home because of everything that's happened. But some people still need to. So I think the situation is even more important now because you can't go visit a place. There are some places I heard that are doing some virtual tours But that's like doing a virtual tour of anything, right? Um, People are going to show you what they want you to see. And unfortunately now, you don't really get, you know, the feeling of the place, the, you know, what's what's the feeling of it? You know how when you walk in a place, you could get a feeling right away if it's, if it's an engaging place, a happy place, a depressed place. You, you know, those things are the intangibles. And you don't get to see if people are how they look or and if they're involved in activities or whatever. So I think the situation is a little different now than it would have been before. It's important, I would tell people, to have a list of three or five places and have some questions that you can call and ask about and don't be shy because what I tell people is, you are the customer, and this is a business, and every business needs customers. And I think people forget that. You know, they they think that they're the ones who need something, and so they're kind of at these people's mercy. It's really the other way around. So people, if they could reframe their thinking about that, so I would tell people there are questions to ask, and we could go through some of them if you'd like, but I would... Say, don't be shy about making a phone call. Say that you're anticipating, let's say, uh, having surgery, um, or even if it's already scheduled, and you're looking to go someplace for a few weeks to have some rehabilitation before you return, whether it's to your assisted living or to your home or your family's home. I would say make more than one phone call to a place and ask to speak with, uh, they'll probably direct somebody to to the admissions person i would call and ask to speak to back and ask to speak with the administrator or the director of nurses and say that uh you have some very pointed questions that you'd like to ask them before you make a decision about where you'd like to go 
a lot of facilities now have a lot of empty beds because people are not going to uh, nursing homes, and also people are not opting for their elective surgeries as much as they were before. Obviously, if it's an emergency situation, they're going to have to have surgery. Let's say someone falls and breaks their hip. But um, So you're really in the driver's seat. I tell people they're in the driver's seat. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, some people would be more reluctant to go at this point, which, okay, yeah, there's a hopefully temporary situation where people have another reason not to want to go. But, you know, if you're uh, elderly and you don't have much care on hand and you're going to have a single knee replaced, there are other comorbidities going on with weight or other conditions, you know, you're, you're going to go to one. I mean, you're not going to have many choices. If you're doing two knees at once, and maybe you're relatively healthy, but you just can't put your spouse, your partner, family on point for two to three weeks, four weeks while you're recovering from double knee replacement surgery, you may say, you know, I'm going to go to a facility because I just can't do that to everybody. And, you know, so you, you can't avoid those situations. I mean, those are, those are front and center. It may be that go, not going is better for, for certain people, and that's another so path that they can take. Or, frankly, I mean, they're expensive. And insurance, you know, doesn't really want to pay for everyone to go to a skilled nursing facility for two weeks because it's a, it's a big bill that they have to pay. So, you know, there, there are those concerns. And I, I think that, you know, the, the questions are, you know, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on questions, by the way. But I would say that this, is, this needs to be worked out because oftentimes people are scheduling their surgeries about four, four, six weeks out, you know, maybe mm-hmm. six. But it's not that far in advance. So part of those first conversations with the physician's assistant or the physician himself or herself is, okay, thanks, doc. You do a good job. You're going to do a great job in, this, in, the, in the, the, the surgery theater. But let's talk about all the other stuff because i got to get hustling on what am I going to do after surgery. That should be figured out very quickly, the, the plan of action. So if you're shopping for a, a skilled nursing facility, you can get going, you know. Um, what are the questions maybe that, that you have in mind, a few of them at least? And then the other thing is beyond the, the questions, do you have a, a, a body? Is there a, a, an evaluation, a score, a public forum somewhere that that provides input on different facilities? Is there some sort of body? Yeah, there there are. Um, Well, I'll tell you what they are, and then I'll tell you my impressions of them. The Nursing Home Compare is a uh, CMS, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, website, which ranks facilities based on STARS. And I, I think they've started it already where they finally started to separate short term rehabilitation and long term care. Uh, parts of a facility in terms of their star ratings. Uh, U.S. News and World Report, I don't know how often it's updated, but the last time I looked it was fairly comprehensive. And then uh, Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care also has an area where you could see facilities and their star ratings um, around the country. I have my uh, views about that because I know how some of these facilities attain their star ratings, so they're not 100% accurate. That's all I'll have to say on that matter. Speaking from an insider who used to work in those facilities. Right. That's all I'm going to say. 
<laughs> don't trust don't trust the scores as much as necessarily maybe we'd because be I, and I've known many people who say you know I met some, a gentleman several years ago after I wrote my first book and I was talking about it. he said oh yes I I moved my mother into a facility in Florida it was supposed to be five stars it was horrible I was like well you know I kind of um that doesn't surprise me unfortunately because there are many situations well it's it changed it used to be this is ridiculous how why they did this or how they came up with this idea i don't know it's since changed where the facility would kind of rank themselves in in terms of their stars i mean i would say i'm great too i mean somebody else who knows me may say oh, i don't think so <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, you know so right. it's like it's like anything else um so, so there are places that, that people can look for that information. Also, every facility has a Department of Health survey. It's an annual survey. Um, some of them are every 15 months. And you could look up and see what deficiencies that facility had and how, how impactful those, those deficiencies were. They are ranked by severity. Um, however, once again, Uh, like that facility where the first outbreak of the virus was in Washington State, Kirkland, they had very high ratings. So you can't always go by the ratings, and that's unfortunate, especially now when you can't even get in to see a place. Uh, It's even more precarious of a situation. But uh, interesting what you said and how we talked about it. I had been... um, uh, seeing somebody several years ago, I'm divorced, and I was seeing somebody several years ago, and he had hip replacement surgery, uh, hip resurfacing surgery. He didn't look into this at all, and when he, the doctor came to visit him after a few days and uh, said he should go home, I was like, oh, he can't go home. I can't take care of him. Not yet, not now. He needs to go to a uh, short-term rehabilitation setting for at least a couple of weeks. And the doctor made some ridiculous offhand comment, which isn't even worth repeating. But he did go to a place for a couple of weeks, which made taking care of him much more manageable at home. And he was in his 50s at the time. So think of that, you know, an old, that much, a person who's that much older, how much more difficult it would be if they don't have those few weeks under their belt. Yeah, you know, it's a little bit of, navigation right you have to go through to check off insurance company what, what, they might have a list right and, you know what? either you've got those restrictions a little bit right right you know what what insurance do they take right. uh, if somebody has medicare they're covered for a hundred days eighty um, percent after a certain period of time but suppose they have to stay longer sometimes they do have to stay longer what insurance do you take or if maybe they have a um, they, you know, they have supplemental insurance. Not all facilities take all insurance plans. So those are important uh, questions to ask at, up front. Always mm-hmm. ask, what insurance do they take? I, I would hope that a good orthopedic practice would be ready for this conversation. Uh, I think some of them are, some of them aren't. They have their preferences. There are, There is the almighty dollar, and there are bundled uh, payments and circumstances right. that can affect, you know, their advice. So, you know, I think you'll agree with this, Phyllis, that you, you have to really take this on yourself. And even if you're getting advice from a practice and friends and, you know, you're doing your homework, you really, it's really going to be in the end, you're empowered to make this decision yourself as long as there's availability and that kind of thing. 
and you know you have to you have to make the, you have to like you say maybe be a sticky wheel. Uh, and you need to you know put your foot down and and be the customer, and right. you know make that decision that you have decided is the right one for you in, in the end. What I say to people is we we actually do this almost every day of our lives. Uh, we're we're actually all advocating every day of our lives. We don't realize it, or maybe not every day, but very often in our daily lives. Whether you call your phone provider, your television provider, your wireless provider, your insurance company, uh, you're complaining about a bill or you're calling about one of your devices and calling technological support and you don't think you're getting the support that you should or want um, and, and you, you know, start to pursue it in a more vigorous way, uh, that's a form of advocacy. So people should not be reluctant to pursue that kind of advocacy when it comes to their health and well-being or their loved one's health and well-being. I think people get intimidated by the process, by doctors, by the fact that it's something medical, um, but it, it really comes down to the same thing. It's about your own health and well-being and making sure that you get the best that you need and that you feel comfortable with. So like you say, you know, there's an expression, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And I could tell you that in healthcare, that uh, applies just as well. I said sticky wheel, and you're right. It's the squeaky wheel. Darn it. Heck. Well, all right. Thank you. The squeaky wheel. The squeaky, Be a squeaky wheel, wheel. Gets the oil. And I have to <laughs> tell is. you, even in facilities, uh, just because, let's say, you've done your homework and you've become an advocate and you've you feel like you've uh, done the homework or you did it for, on behalf of your loved one, once you get to that place, that's, that's not the end of it. If, if you're, let's say, an adult child of somebody who's in a nursing home or some kind of facility, you have to continue advocating. And I can tell you from the inside, when people know that there's a family, family member looking or calling or asking or visiting, well, now they can't visit, but nevertheless, they're more attentive. It's just a reality. Hmm. Let's not. I'm not letting you go on on this though. Let, let me go back to the, one of our questions, right? And I've got a follow up. Are there any like five f- questions? Any like telegraph? You got to ask these questions that people could be could be asking when they're looking at these facilities. Gee, that's a that's a great. Putting you on the spot. Putting you on the spot. Yeah, you are. What are the uh, <laughs> what are the top five questions that you would ask? I would ask, um, you know, what their staffing is like, how many, how many beds on a unit, and how many nurses they have for, to take care of those people. How many registered nurses, how many licensed practical nurses, or in some states I think they're called licensed vocational nurses, and how many certified nurse aides, because certified nurse aides do the bulk of the work. They spend 90% of the time with the resident in helping them, whether it's transferring, toileting, bathing, dressing. Um, so those, that's a very, very important question. What is the staffing like? What's the staffing ratio? What's the, um, how long have the people been there? What's the longevity of the, of the, the staff that's been working there? That's a, with, I think tells a lot, you know, how long has the director been there, how long has the charge nurse been there, what's the average length of employment of certified nurse aides. Those, those would be, um, you know, one Great. of the top questions I would ask. Yeah. Um, are there rooms with two beds or three beds or four beds? 
how do they determine compatibility um, for the people in the room? Do they have, let's say you're a person who's in your 60s or 70s, are you going to be with a person who's in their 90s? Do they have different kinds of living situations for people who have memory impairment as opposed to people who don't? Uh, that would be something that's an important question that I would think you'd want to ask. You know, how often is a medical director visit the building or, you know, how soon after you're admitted will you be seen by a physician? Now facilities have something called an ISNIP, some buildings, which is it's kind of like their own insurance that the facility has. So they have the responsibility for overseeing the resident's care. If the facility has an ISNIP, then they would have a nurse practitioner in attendance, you know, five days a week for the most part. So that would be an important question also. What kind of medical care are you going to get and how frequent is that care? If you're going for knee replacement or any kind of short-term rehabilitation, well, how often am I going to get therapy? How often do they have a physical therapist as opposed to a physical therapy assistant in the building? Uh, a physical therapy assistant cannot provide care without a physical therapist present. But if you need occupational therapy, an occupational therapy assistant, I believe, can provide care even if the occupational therapist, the senior therapist, isn't in the building. If you need speech therapy services, how often is a speech therapist in the building? So, I mean, the, the amount of therapy, especially if it's a knee or if it's a person who's had a stroke or a heart attack and, or is debilitated in any way, what's the frequency of service that they're going to get? Are they going to get it five days a week, six days a week? Those are important considerations, I would um I would think in terms of rehab questions. You are you are really good at this, Phyllis. Um, I was I was ready to jump into the knee thing, and you headed me right off at the path. <laughs> and that was great. That was. Great. I, I want to I want to add something else that happens to be something I'm very passionate about, and that is what is the predominant language or culture of the staff in the facility, and the reason I'm saying is I've seen many situations where a person winds up in a nursing home facility, either for short-term or long-term. They don't speak the predominant language of the people that are working in the building. They don't understand anybody, and nobody understands them. And mm -hmm. can you imagine yourself? I can't think of myself if I, let's say, wound up in, I don't know, Uzbekistan or someplace, China, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I was in pain or wanted to communicate somebody something to someone, and people are asking me questions. I don't understand them. They don't understand me. I just can't really, for the life of me, wrap my head around how we're allowing that to happen. Yeah. And I can tell you as a speech pathologist that I've created communication boards in Bangladeshi and um, Mandarin and um, Tagalog and, and, and many different languages. And I think it's an important question to ask. I just had an experience um, a few weeks ago where this, this uh, daughter was telling me that her mother is telling her she's in pain, but her mother spoke, um, it was um, an Eastern European language, if I remember correctly. The daughter was concerned because the mother didn't speak anything other than that language. She's trying to tell her daughter she has pain in her foot, and if, if her daughter wasn't there, how would anybody understand her? 
So this is something that's very important to me, especially being a speech pathologist and very vested in communication, that this is an important question for people to ask, and I don't think they do. And if your, your loved one doesn't speak the language of the predominant language of the facility, what is the, if let's say that's the facility where your loved one needs to go, what is the facility going to do to accommodate that communication? Or what can you do to help the facility to communicate with your loved one? Because you're a partner in this, in this situation. Yeah. Well, I'm going to take, for everyone listening, I'm going to, if you haven't been taking notes, because this has been so valuable, I'm going to take Phyllis's points or questions. I'm going to bullet point that in the, the blog that goes with this podcast so that it'll be available. And maybe we'll even build a, a PDF to download or something. But this is really, really helpful. Oh, that because, would, yeah, I, would, I yeah. would love to do that. And I could, I could certainly ask, I could certainly um, add some other questions okay. to that. Okay, um, great. Yeah, that would that would be awesome because I think I want to add some more information about asking about deficiencies or Department of Health surveys and you know if they've had any deficiencies, what was the severity and how they went about correcting them and what are they going to do to prevent them in the future? Great. Well, this will be fun. We'll we'll work on that together and and we'll make sure that's available to everybody who visits the blog page and uh, I'll I'll make sure everyone knows where to go for that stuff when we finish this this piece. I really, I'm really glad we got to that stuff because I know that you've got to ask questions. I didn't really know all the right ones. And I think a lot of people that are in this world of knee surgery, knee replacement, many of these listeners right now will be asked, you know, to make a dec- some decisions. And this will help them, you know, right from the beginning, be prepared, really be prepared. When the, when the time comes, you're, you're a week away from surgery it's all settled. You know exactly what's going to happen for however number of weeks, where you're going to go. It's all done. You've asked the questions. Everyone's comfortable with the facility, the location, the care, the frequency of care, the quality of the care. All those things are settled. And now you've just, boy, you've put your mind at ease uh, in, in a kind of a stressful time, right? You're going to have your knee replaced for good news. Absolutely. And you really should be focused on your recovery. And I would say that when you go into the hospital, because Sometimes you're only going to be there for a few days. If you've done your homework beforehand, when you go in, you can give the person who's going to be responsible for your discharge your list of five places. I would rank them one through five and say these are the places that the ones that I I prefer to go to because otherwise they'll kind of redirect you based on some other kind of um, situation, either places they know that have beds or relationships they have and um, you know, this way, this way, you're in command of, of your own future. You know, Phyllis, between you and me and everyone listening, maybe we're writing a little worksheet for your book right now for, for uh, dignity and respect. I wonder, maybe a oh, little okay. checklist can, at the back? I don't know. Yeah, we you can know. talk about that. Yeah, I, I, want, a, I want a little commission when, okay, when this thing's no published. <laughs> No problem. <laughs> well, that's a, uh, this is great. I, I, uh, I, I've not had this conversation, you know, for any of the audiences that I create content for, whether it's a blog or a podcast or whatever. So this is so invaluable to those listening, I am sure. And we'll, we'll do the worksheets. We'll make sure that this is just packaged beautifully for people so that they can t- make, take action based upon our conversation um, you've got a book coming out. The podcast, just for everyone to know, 
is once again, I'm looking for it. What is the name it's of the podcast? Seniors, Seniors, <laughs> Straight Talk. And I just will say, if anybody wants to contact me, my website is www.phyllis, P-H-Y-L-L-I-S, Amen, A-Y-M-A-N, Associates.com. And that's the website, too, uh, Phyllis. AmenAssociates.com, uh-huh. and everybody, you you may remember this, but I'll also place all this great stuff on the blog page. So you know, it'll be easy to find Phyllis to email her. Uh, you know, we'll do some notifications when the book comes out to make sure everyone knows that it's out when it does. You know, come out soon. Really, right? It's not that far away. Right. That's exciting. And Absolutely. and then we listen for you also on Voice America. So that's the other thing to do because that's where your show lives. And that's another great way to hear your conversations. And I'll again, all this stuff will be will be shared with everyone who is listening, and and, and I'll I'll make sure it's very clear where to go to do that. Uh, did we forget anything else, Phyllis? In this I know. I think we're good. This is listen. I really enjoyed this. I think it was great. And uh, thanks so much for having me. And I'm passionate about this. I love to share this information so that people can be well informed and be better advocates and. Uh, you know, get the best care they deserve. And we did a great job. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Hi, everyone. One message about what you're listening to, because there are two different audiences for everything that we do now. We have had a podcast for the last few years called the Bees Knees Podcast, and some of you are listening to that right now saying, yeah, thanks, PJ, got it. I'm listening to your podcast. What else do I need to know? Uh, But I'll tell you, what else you need to know is that there's another way to consume these wonderful interviews and content that we create, and that is Knee Radio One, a 24-7, seven-day-a-week, on-all-the-time knee broadcast. It's a radio station on the Internet, Internet Radio, they call it, and we have a collection of interviews bundled into different shows that run all the time on Knee Radio One. You can find that broadcast simply by going to knee-radio-the-numeral-one.com, knee-radio-one.com, and right on that homepage of that website, you can read all about it, and you can also push play and listen to the broadcast, and it's going on all the time with different programming. We're updating that programming. We're really excited about it, and in fact, we're soon going to launch and introduce a morning show, 7 to 9 a.m., hosted by Mary Elliott. She's busy creating that show right now in the middle of summer 2020, and that'll be out pretty soon, and we're excited about having that, you know, in the world as well. So uh, just an explanation, Knee Radio 1, the Bees Knees podcast, much of the content is the same. We're packaging it for you on the radio station, or you can go to the Bees Knees podcast on any podcast service that you can imagine. We're there. And you can just look up specific episodes and topics uh, on Apple Podcasts or in Google or on Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. And you can find individual interviews there. Hopefully that'll help you get what you want out of this knee-focused content that we create. So that's it. This is PJ. I hope you enjoy listening however you're consuming this content. The Bees Knees Podcast comes to you from our studio in Lower Manhattan, New York City. We're here week in and week out shedding light on all aspects of knee surgery and recovery. To reach us, send an email to thebeesneespodcast at gmail.com.